0: You're listening to Digging In, brought to you by Concept Agritech. Visit us on the web at conceptagritech.com. Well, welcome back everyone. Today we're joined by Rick and Liz Haney, who have spent their careers fighting to protect not only the soil microbiome, but the farmer's bottom line. And in doing so, both are no strangers to paving new roads in soil science. As the second episode of the Soil Health Series, Rick and Liz follow our discussion with Dr. James White of Rutgers University and his research around plants and their ability to farm the microbes that they need to flourish. Rick, Liz, thanks for joining us here today.
1: You bet. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, today we're talking discovery and maintenance and what it takes to maintain a healthy soil microbiome. And that starts with knowing what's happening in your soil. So. Rick, Liz, again, thanks for joining us. Wanna give you both just a couple of minutes here as we get started to tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and what brought you to where you are today. All
2: righty, so I grew up uh, in Iowa and then Western Oklahoma and was uh, attracted to farming um, ever since I was little. And so, you know, this was, it was kind of the direction I went, but, you know, and I graduated high school, went to college, drunk in stone for a year and a half, dropped out, went back 10 years later got my undergraduate degree. And then I, my uncle in Austin was like, well, why don't you do something in, you know, soil? You can't farm. You don't have any money. So, you know, go to grad school. And so I ended up at Texas A&M and, and soil was the focus. And, and, you know, that's where everything had started. I'd worked on, I had been on farms, working on farms, most of my young life. And, and I, uh, really, it was difficult for me to watch those farmers struggle like they did. And so that, stuck inside me and a real inherent, uh, desire to help, uh, in some way, shape or form. And then when I got to Texas A&M, you know, things started to show up that I didn't recognize that were coming from a soil perspective.
0: Yeah. So Liz, Rick, is that where you guys met?
2: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's a great story because, uh, we were down, we were at Texas A&M and there was a little Coke machine at the bottom floor down there. And I went down there and I saw this person squatted down, picking a quarter up off the ground, had overalls on. And I thought, I wonder wonder who that skinny white dude is. It was her. (laughs) And so later, uh, her major professor called me in his office and said that she had a big uh, redneck boyfriend that beat my ass and I was to leave her alone, which he knew that that would just encourage me so that's how it all started <laughs> you remember
0: well and look at where you are today
2: <laughs> Yeah, here we are.
0: oh that's a great story
2: <laughs> it's a true story
0: yeah all right so liz catch us up so i i guess maybe you know this this boyfriend didn't kill rick so you're both here today and things are going well liz catch us up to where you're at today um
1: So I actually grew up in West Texas, out in the desert in a city uh, surrounded by oil fields. So I wasn't really exposed to agriculture. Um, My path forward towards soils really started with um, beer and bartending. So I was a bartender and one of my um, regulars had a soils lab and gave me a job there. And so I started working in the soils lab and then went back to school and got my master's in soils where I looked like a skinny white dude and met Rick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. And it must have worked out well because you guys are both PhDs today. Is that right?
2: Yes. Yeah. The funny part is that that same professor uh, who had said that we got married at his house. Yeah. I mean, he was he said that was the last thing he wanted to see done before he retired was (laughs) her and I getting
0: Nice. And so did you guys follow that PhD track together as well?
2: No, I got mine. Uh, I got my master's and then my PhD and Liz got her master's and then she went, worked uh, in the private sector for quite a while. And then she came back and got hers. Yeah, she did that while raising two children and, awesome. and commuting. And awesome. I mean, it was quite the uh, struggle.
0: Yeah. I mean, she's a resilient, skinny white dude, right?
2: Yep. <laughs> Why that? skinny <laughs> <laughs> lucky to meet my wife serious, skinny white dude
0: so Rick tell us about the haney test so that is your namesake and why is that something that farmers should be thinking about um why should they be thinking about implementing that into their soil health plans and um what does that look like
2: well <clears throat> back when I was working on farms I mean I was just you know I didn't know anything about soil and nobody else really did either it seems like I mean, we were pulling in hydrous tanks and conventional till and monoculture and, you know, all all the wrong things that that you do now. And so it was just such a shock to me. I didn't have a lot to unlearn when I got to grad school. But what I did know is I wanted to help farmers in some way, shape or form. And what struck me in talking to a lot of people when I was in grad school was that uh, fertilizer inputs were a very expensive part of farming. And so I thought, well, there's the place that we can maybe do some good. And so you start looking at soil testing methods and, and, you know, the soil te- testing methods were pretty antiquated and not really well thought out and certainly had absolutely nothing to do with how nature does things. And I've always been a huge fan of nature. And so I began to study how nature does things, how we can incorporate that into soil testing and, you know, and get a better answer because we can do whatever we want to a soil in a lab, Uh, you know, expose it to this, expose it to that, you know, dissect it, grind it, burn it, whatever. But that's not how, if that's not happening out in the field, then what are we really looking at? Uh, So the idea there was, if we can mimic what's happening in the field where things actually happen, that in soil testing, we might be down the road better and allow the soil to tell us what it needs instead of us just deciding that based on our, you know, wisdom from, I don't know what, but yeah.
0: So that is completely logical, but how do you get from that thought process to actually developing a test?
2: It was a series of of epiphanies. It was a series of little, like, for example, uh, in, in standard testing, you you use all these different man-made soil extractants, right? So we're going to pull out all these nutrients based on these, this chemistry. Well, outside in the field, it rains water. And so why is water not the, the extractant of choice and, and, you know, when you have a growing plant in the ground, then you also have these root exudates, the, the plants leaking carbon compounds out to help the system function properly. And so I built an extractant based on that. So, again, mimicking nature, I mean, it was just just a series of things like just like I'll never forget. That the guy said, told me you can't use it. You have to use these extractants. And I said, it doesn't rain these extractants. It rains water. And he really didn't know what to say to that. He, he You know. And so it was just a very different way of thinking. It was a more simplistic way of thinking. It was a more nature-based way of thinking. And, you know, because nature has had, you know, research and development going on for billions of years. So, and here we, we've been fairly new to the scene, so we haven't been really thinking about it. You know, and in my talks, I recently said, you know, not nobody's walking around with a rotary dial phone in their pocket now. So, you know, that's about where mm-hmm. standard soil testing is, is stuck back in those those ages. It was time to, to make a change and, and improve.
0: Right. So put a timeline on the Haney soil health test, um, you know, from the time that you kind of had that aha moment or, you know, the leading up to that to where we are today.
2: Well, it started in 96, uh, really started playing around with the soil respiration stuff and, and that we could do that rapidly. Uh, prior to that, we were, you know, the, all the literature was saying you had to, you know, spend a couple of weeks incubating soils and then Alan Franzlubers uh, showed me. That I think we can do this in one day, and so you know that kicks open the possibility for soil testing labs to adopt some of this stuff. And I had all those methods involved in my mind, in that these have to be readily adopted by commercial soil testing labs, or we won't get anywhere. Just having an, in an academic setting doesn't impact anything. And so all the methods were uh, created to be rapidly done by a commercial lab. And so that was in 96 is when it really started, but it was, it wasn't until about 20 now nah, 2008, when it really came together in my mind, all the pieces came together and then NRCS was interested in it. Some Ray Archuleta, uh, Gabe Brown, uh, got interested in it and that kind of kicked it off. And so, you know, it kind of took off from there, but it took it a while to bring it all together
0: so talk about um those commercial labs today can a guy go to any lab or do you have a select network that you're working with where can you get this this haney soil test done at
2: well there it's hard for me to say what that really is with what lab to actually go to because you know i don't know what everybody's doing but uh there's a guy up in nebraska named lance gunderson that has this lab and he has been, so from the very beginning, he was the first one to, to adopt it, and he had all through my career, he, he maintained in touch with me. We talked about all this stuff for hours and hours and hours. He really gets it, and, and he does a, the best job of anybody I know of, of mimicking what I created. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk a little bit more about what you created. What do you actually learn from the Haney Soil Health Test?
2: Well, several things, and I have a lot of data that's that's been acquired where we show the standard test versus the Haney test, and and that's what a lot of people are interested in. The standard test doesn't tell you anything about the life in the soil. I mean, zero, nothing, you know, organic matter is not life. Organic matter is a thing. It's a great test. There's (laughs) nothing wrong with doing organic matter, but what is that organic matter doing? Is it cycling nutrients? Is it alive? Is it, you know, how much of it's moving? How much of it is giving you fertilizer that you're not accounting for? Uh, naturally, that's the big money savings thing. So when we started looking, for example, organic nitrogen, that's never been included in a nitrogen test before ever. So anything that we find in the organic nitrogen pool that was never measured before is money in the farmer's pocket. I mean, just right off the bat. And so it gives you an idea that if your soil's alive or not, and how alive it is, and what benefits that it can give you, that you could cut some of your inputs back and do a better job of managing the soil and bringing it to forward. It takes years to move organic matter, you know that number. But when we can see very fast movement, uh, relatively speaking, in, with the Haney Soil Health Test because it gives you respiration, it gives you organic nitrogen, organic phosphorus, it gives you ratios. It, it just looks at a much more dynamic system, which is what soil actually is.
0: Right. And so that was my next question. So can you have low organic matter and still have decent biological activity in your soil?
2: You can. And that's one of the very interesting things about it is we, we for example, we, you can have two soils uh, that have the exact same organic matter. Let's say it's low. Let's say it's like 1% or 2%. But one of them will have a respiration of maybe 70 part per million. The other one's like 12. Well, what's that difference? Well, that difference has to do with nutrient cycling. It has to do with the quality of carbon it sees, the amount of organic nitrogen that can be used as free fertilizer. So organic matter is just a measure. Uh, It's not a very it's not a dynamic measurement. It's just a measurement of here's this organic matter. The question, the burning question is, what is it doing? is it active is it working for you or is it working against you or, or what can you do from a management perspective to influence that and that those these are questions that were never asked before because we didn't have the testing to you know tell us the stuff
0: so if, if the biological test tells you what's happening in your soil how good is it how long is it good for i mean this is probably not something you pull in the fall and react to in the spring right
2: well, some t- some of the folks that are up north pull fall samples for spring recommendations because once the soil freezes, nothing happens. Okay. And and it's the same in a drought. Once the water goes away, everything stops. And so, you know, but you can pull that test about any time you want to, uh, because it's still going to give you an idea. Because once the sample gets to the lab, you know, that we we dry it down, grind it, and then rev it back up and let it tell us what it's seeing. And so The only thing we've ever really seen that doesn't work well is if the soils are frozen when they take the the samples. That tends to disrupt everything pretty badly. But short of that, about any time, because a lot of folks want to know, you know, what's our soil health calculation? What's what's going on here? Others want to know what our nutrients are. Some want both. I mean, you you get all that from from the test.
1: It really depends on what your goals are for when you're going to take the test. So if you want to test for soil health and track that year after year, then you're going to want to take it at the same time every year. If you're doing it for fertility recommendations, you want to do it prior to, you know, purchasing your fertilizer.
0: That's actually what I was going to ask next. So when you pull this test, you get the results back. What kind of a management plan can you structure around that? Um, You know, obviously it's based on what your goals are, but what does knowing what the biology in your soil, what does that help you to do as far as your fertility program?
1: Yeah, so you'll get um, recommendations on um, macronutrients and micronutrients. Sometimes we can derive some recommendations from that, but you definitely can get your nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium recommendations. Um, You also get a carbon to nitrogen ratio, which can help guide your cover crop decisions. So if you have a really low carbon to nitrogen ratio, you might need to add more carbon uh, to your cover crop mix and vice versa, um, might need to add more nitrogen if you have low organic nitrogen in the soil. Uh, we can help determine if there might be a problem even with irrigation water. I've seen that a lot lately um, when some of the numbers aren't making sense. If somebody's magnesium is really high, we can tell they probably have compacted soils and need to adjust some things there. That can also go towards you know what you put in your cover crop blend, um, how you're treating the soil. So, you can derive a a lot of management information from it, and it all increases the farmer's return on investment. Well,
2: not only that, it's an educational experience because we have another calculation called MAC, which is microbial active carbon. And that's basically a measure of how much your microbes like the carbon in your soil. And so, if that's low, then you really want to do the cover crop thing. And we also look at pH and calcium iron aluminum ratio, because that's a driver of pH. And these, these are things that are just more in sync with what, how nature does it instead of, you know, the, again, the, just getting it in the lab and doing what you want. To. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And so you're actually providing recommendations when they get the, the Haney soil
1: health test back. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. The lab, if they put in what crop they want to grow and their yield goals, they can put in two different crops, two different yield goals and get a recommendation back um they're not providing they give a cover crop recommendation that's a little bit but um gives you a percentage of grasses to legumes but as far as like a detailed uh, management plan that's usually where like i come in or um soil region comes in
0: right right so rick liz let's talk a little bit about adoption so this was mid 90s 2008 you said it, it started to take off where is adoption today are you seeing more farmers turn an ear to this and and uh, implement this into their management strategies yeah
2: we, back 2008 2010 you know we were running around the country talking and and you know it's like dave brandt gabe brown Breya chaletta jay fuhrer you know a bunch of us in, we were like, this, are we just being stupid? Is this, is this just dumb? Or, you know, does this even get to matter? And you look, we look back at that now and they're shocked at, at how rapidly things have started to change and how uh, much adoption that there, that there is to all this and, and very pleased that that's moving in that direction.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think the drivers of that were?
2: Uh, that that was mostly uh, uh, communication between farmers. I mean, that's what we were after. We were after grassroots, um, uh, involvement it, it, because that's a more solid foundation i mean i mean i got some awards for the Haney soil test from usda which okay that that's great and that was fun and but did it really matter no no it was the farmer to farmer communication uh that really kicked it off and and the same so over 12 years uh we were showing a, a $20 per acre savings on average for nitrogen. And so if you if you think about that for a minute, 20 bucks an acre doesn't sound like much. But when you got a thousand acres, that's $20,000 in your pocket you didn't have that you didn't need to put on. I mean, so these are the impacts that we're looking for. And, and that was just, that was a, mostly the farmers talking to each other.
0: Yeah, and wow, look at the savings today. I mean, if that was $20 five years ago, I mean, look at what nitrogen's doing today.
2: That's double that now. Yeah, that's double that now.
1: Not only are farmers using it, but there's a lot of different companies that might have biological products or are doing different uh, management strategies on land, and they're able to monitor and track soil health and the effects of either a product or a different management technique um, on that. So it, it's it's becoming not just farmer to farmer, but it's, it's becoming even more encompassing of the whole entire ag industry, I think. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So this, this uh, podcast is for Concept Agritech, biological company based out of the boot heel of Missouri. Um, and that's absolutely what they're doing with the biological testing as well. You know, how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you start?
2: That's right. And, and, and you know, in the handy test and the only test out there is PLFA and their genetic sequencing, you know, and there's, there's other stuff. But they all uh, fit a unique deal, and so I have a big data set I'm developing uh, with Lance that is showing PFA and Haney run on the same sample, and we get very interesting insight into what those two tests offer and how that differs, and you know what what to look for. <clears throat> and then then the DNA sequencing is going to be a you know the future also. So there's going to be a lot more uh, information that we're going to have to discern and, and and make available to farmers that's easily understandable. To help us, you know, the goal here is to let the soil talk to us and, and, and making decisions based on that.
0: Isn't it incredible how far we've come in five years? I mean, I know you guys have spent your career working on this. So when I say five years, I don't mean that, you know, is anything derogatory to what you've spent your life's work doing. But just the adoption and the attention that soil health has gotten in the last five years. I mean, it's incredible.
2: Well, but it, it's the future i mean come on if we, you know we're starting to the public is starting to demand better quality food right now we're waking up to hey well maybe this isn't the best how can we do this better and you know that 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 set of soil tests just fits right in with that it's like are we going to keep doing the standard test or are we gonna you know are we going to do highly processed food or are we going to start to look where the good stuff is and that's that's kind of what the soil testing is trying to move towards
0: yeah you know a decade ago you know precision agriculture was the big thing and and today you know, you, you just can't farm without it. And so, you know, in the future, I see what we're learning from soil health just being standard practice. You know, yep. the, the Haney test should probably fit right into to what you're doing every soil test you pull.
2: Yeah. And that's that was kind of my my hope that that it would be just kind of the standard. I mean, it's not the end all. There'll be somebody come along smarter than me and do it might come up with something better. And maybe they already have. But, you know, this this need to kick the door open. Something need to kick the door open and say, hey, look over here.
1: Yeah,
0: well, Liz. Before we wrap up here this morning, let's talk a little bit more about soil Region and what you're doing with that group to help farmers um, maximize their bottom line.
1: Yeah, so we um, we're a farmer focused company. Um, We do everything from large educational events to boots on the ground um, consulting. What we found was is a lot of people will go to a conference or something, and then they leave all excited to start implementing new practices or monitoring soil health. And then they go home and they don't know what to do. So um, we want to try and build that community and support network around farmers and their community. So they can talk to each other. They can talk to us. They can talk to um, our group of people that we consult with. Uh, We can connect them with different companies that can help them with products that, that might help them kickstart their biology. Um, you know, just really creating that community and connection for everybody to move down the path of regenerative agriculture.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the key components. And it's so important for people to understand, you know, I've, I've been to a few conferences and you guys are great about talking about this. There's no cookie cutter prescription to help you get started and make you successful in this. It's it's trial and error. It's, it's understanding, it's reading, it's building your knowledge base. Talk a little bit more about how you help guys get started in this.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point too because I've had people say, "Well, can you make a video series or write a manual on the first step through step 10 of getting started?" And it's like, you can't do that. Every farming operation is completely different. So like if we're we're working with a farmer in Hawaii that's going to be doing vegetable production on a, you know, depleted land that has had a ton of anhydrous ammonia on it to people in um, you know, North Carolina that get all the rain they need and, and more. So their context and stuff is different versus somebody in Oklahoma that's in completely dry land operation. So really it's meeting people where they're at, taking in their information, letting them talk about their operation and what their goals are, and then developing you know some sort of program around that. And the nice thing is, is that not any one of us has all the answers, but we always can find someone that has been in a similar situation or might know the answer to that. And that's where that whole network and community comes in. And um, we've we've worked really hard to develop that throughout the years.
0: Absolutely. And like everything in agriculture, it's a lasting relationship. It's not a one and done.
1: Yeah, for sure. (laughs)
0: So as we look at wrapping up here this
1: morning, is there anything that I've missed that you want to make sure that listeners take away from this this morning? Um, I just think if anybody's interested in getting started down the path and, and needs help, they can look us up. Um, we're online. We have a website. Um, you can call Region Ag Lab as well and talk to them about soil testing. That's who um, we use all the time. And um, just just reach out to the network and, and try and, you know, go to some events, uh, join a webinar, listening to podcasts like this and, and start your, your journey on, on learning where to go and what to do. And once you start reaching out to the network and, and trying to get in there and learn some stuff, um, you'll, you'll be part of the community and, and part of the family. So,
0: yeah. And you guys have some pretty cool events coming up here yet in 2022 and then into 23 as well. Correct.
1: Yes, we are planning our big soil health event. We're having that December 5th and 6th in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And registration is open for that. Um, Rick's going to be speaking as well as Lance Gunderson. We have a bunch of farmers that are going to be speaking as well. Um, it's a, a good community event. And we're wrapping the whole thing up from soil health practices all the way to human health. So it's it's going to be awesome. We also have a farm to brood challenge. So we're providing regenerative uh barley for craft breweries to join a contest and brew a regenerative beer so that's always a big draw um and then as we go into next year uh, we had some tentative events planned in missouri and uh nebraska and uh north carolina as well right now
2: because one of the big things going forward is going to be dirt to alcohol yeah <laughs> we, we we think that's going to be a winner
1: it's a really good gateway into meeting the consumer and teaching the consumer about clean water and agriculture, where their food comes from, and regenerative ag practices.
2: Back in the old days, when we used to go to these, give these talks all over the country and stuff, I will guarantee you, after you got done for the day and everybody went back to the hotel and broke out the alcohol, that's when things started to happen. That, that's when we started to talk. I mean, that's when we got food. <laughs>
0: that's right that's when the education exchange or the knowledge exchange happens right
2: yeah and very and and, and very uh, animated it's like <laughs> you know you're an idiot yeah well we're, you know it, it was it was super fun I mean we I'm mean, honest to god we we really made some headway uh just flash a little alcohol into that deal and by god things move nicely <laughs>
0: Well, it seems like those should be recorded, you know, because how much of that knowledge do you actually retain the next day?
2: Oh, I, I, I retain it. didn't. No. Cheetah. Okay. <laughs> just... Yeah.
0: Well, that sounds good. All right. Well, Liz, Rick, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Get more information at conceptagrotech.com.